we have in church today. Well, welcome to Christ Fellowship. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thank you so much for being a part of our experience today. And we want to say thank you for joining us on this weekend. And I want to take a moment and welcome all of our campuses all across Miami, West Kendall, Doral, Homestead, Redland, Core Gables, downtown, and everyone who is watching us online. Christ Fellowship Palmetto Bay, can we give it up for them as loud as you can? We're in the middle of this series called uh, Ancient Stories. How many of you have been enjoying this series? Been amazing, right? Uh, we're looking at some of these stories specifically in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to go through the narrative of Joseph. Not Joseph in the New Testament, not Mary and Joseph, but rather Joseph from the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Here's what the Word of God says. Now Israel, also Jacob, he had two names, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. In other words, there was conflict between the 11 other brothers and Joseph. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and God, we're just grateful for this time that we can gather together and worship you, God. Just like we sang earlier today, Lord, nothing else will do, God. And Lord, I pray that that may be the declaration of our life, God, that we may find fulfillment and satisfaction in nothing else but you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us into this place, Lord. I pray that you eliminate every single distraction from our, from our hearts and our minds, our thoughts today. Speak to us, Lord. We want to be transformed by the power of your spirit. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. You can have a seat today at all of our campuses. You know, by now, many of you, if not all of you, you know that I love sports. And my favorite sport is football. In fact, how many of you out there make some noise if you like football at all of our campuses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Earlier this year, I talked about Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player of all time. But I want to talk about probably the greatest football player of all time. And I know we're playing him today, and it is Tom Brady. I know many Dolphins fans, you know, it's Tom Brady. He's probably the greatest football player of all time. And Brady played for the New England Patriots before he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He played for the Patriots for 20 seasons. And throughout those 20 seasons, they won 17 division titles, went to the AFC Conference Championship game 13 different times, and they won six Super Bowls. And so Brady accomplished a lot with this team. But at the age of 42, on March 2020, Brady would make an announcement that he would no longer be playing for New England Patriots, but now he would play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this shocked the entire football world. How could it be that one of the greatest football players of all time, who put together one of the greatest dynasties in football, they won six Super Bowls, why would he leave that team? And this past Sunday was the return of Brady back into New England. It was Tom Brady versus Belichick. Tom Brady versus the New England Patriots. Tom Brady versus Robert Kraft. In fact, with that in mind, take a look at this video. Hello, it's me. 
I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me So That's awesome, right? Come on, we can lap it up for that. Who would think that the Adele song would be used to describe Brady's relationship with Tom Belichick? But church family, here's the thing. At some point before for 20 years, they were playing for each other. They were in the same sideline. They were in the same team. And after 20 years winning six Super Bowls, now they are playing against each other. Now they are in separate teams. Now they are in different sidelines. And I think many of us thought, why would they end their relationship? They put together the greatest dynasty in football. They won six Super Bowl championships. Here's the thing. There was conflict between Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. There was co conflict between Tom Brady and Robert Kraft. There was conflict between Tom Brady and the football team. And they were unable to deal with conflict and it destroyed their dynasty. Now let me bring all of that over to our teaching for today. Because don't miss the point in all of this. Because just like conflict led to the, the destruction of one of the greatest dynasties in football, just like that, here's our big idea. Conflict that is not dealt with well will lead to destroying our families. Conflict that is not dealt with well, that it's not managed well, will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with the family member. It will destroy your relationship with your parents, with your children, with a friend, with a coworker. And who knows, maybe you're here today. And as I share this, you're thinking, Pastor Carlos, I'm in the midst of some intense conflict at home. I'm in the midst of some intense conflict with my, with my spouse, with my children, with a family member. How do I deal with conflict? How do I manage conflict? We're going to find out today. And as we navigate through this narrative of Joseph, if you really apply this into your life, it will transform the way that you live. And so we love uh, to take notes here at Christ Fellowship. I want to encourage you to take out your Christ Fellowship app at all of our campuses. And this is the first point that I want you to write down today. Family conflicts are a part of life. Family conflicts are a part of life. Look at what the Bible says in Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and made an ornate robe for him. Now let me give you some historical background to set up the scene for us in Genesis uh, 37. Because I want to take us back to Abraham. I want to give you a quick family tree. We've learned about Abraham several weeks ago. Abraham had eight sons, and one of them was Isaac. Isaac was a son of promise. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, who is also known as Israel, had 12 sons with four different women. And so Joseph was one of J uh, Jacob's youngest son. And the Bible says that Jacob saw him as the favorite. Not only did he see him as the favorite, he actually gave him this robe, ornate robe, which in other translations is known as this coat of many colors. Now, why is this a big deal? 
Because back in those days, in ancient times, in biblical times, the ornate robe was usually given to the oldest son. Now, the oldest son was not Joseph, but rather Reuben. And when they were given that ornate robe, it meant that the son did not have to do any manual labor. He didn't have to work as hard as all the other siblings, all his other children. So think about it this way. Let's insert ourselves into this scene. Here is Joseph, one of the youngest sons, the second youngest son. He's wearing this ordinary robe. And so while all the other brothers, all the 11 brothers, are out in the field working hard from morning to night, Joey is back at home in the living room playing Fortnite, watching Netflix, eating some organic pita bread and hummus. And having a good time while all his other brothers are working hard. When Jacob went fishing and he could only take one child, guess who would go with him? Joey. It was Joey. <laughs> Joey, come fishing with me. So this created conflict. This created tension, beef between the 11 brothers and Joseph. They were like, wait a minute. How come? Joseph gets to do all these things. Why does he get VIP treatment? Why does he get these special privileges? And so the Bible says that they were jealous of their brother, Joseph. In other words, they coveted the relationship that Joseph had with his father. Here's what I want us to understand. This is so important because coveting breeds conflict. Write that down as your next point. Coveting breeds conflict. Think about it for a moment. First of all, parents, this is not a parenting message, but you should not have any favorites, all right? Love your children all the same. I love all my children. Uh, my favorite is probably the one who listens and obeys and goes to sleep early on that night. Whoever sleeps first is my favorite that night. Just kidding. But love your children the same. But think about this for a moment. It's not Joseph's fault that Jacob sees him as his favorite. It's not. It's not Joseph's fault that he's having these dreams and his brother's jealous. God is the one giving him these dreams. It's Jacob's fault. The, the, the brothers should have been like, hey, dad, listen, you're a great dad, and we appreciate the way that you feed us, and you lead us, and you care for us, and you protect us. But listen, listen, I mean, you, you, know, you, you got to stop this, situ this relation with your, with, with your son Joseph. It's, it's not fair. They should have had the conversation with Jacob. Not be jealous and covet the relationship between Joseph and, and Jacob. And so coveting breeds the conflict that happens here in Genesis chapter 37 because they wanted what Joseph had. You know, I have three children, and one of the things that Shawnee and I decided to do is we want to spend one-on-one -on -one time with our, with our children. And so we want to have, like, these lunch dates or hangouts that we only get to spend, you know, it's just one myself and one of our kids. And so I took my son Noah a couple weeks to lunch. It was just him and I. And I said, hey, Noah, what, where, do you, where do you want to go eat lunch? And he says, Panera. I'm like, okay, you want to keep it healthy? Cool. So we go to Panera. We have a good lunch. We have a good time. I come back and we have some leftover and I have a little bag of Panera. And I try to hide it. I put it in the kitchen. But my other son, Nathan, sees it. He's like, oh, not fair. I want Panera. I want a sandwich. I want some of that salad. You didn't want a sandwich before. You didn't want Panera before. What is he doing? He's coveting 
what my other son had. When you give your child a gift for their birthday, all the other children want a gift as well. Why? They want what that person has. And coveting breeds conflict. Everything is good between your hubby until your best friend begins to brag about her husband. Oh, my husband is amazing. He wakes up every morning, prepares coffee for us and breakfast and just all, you know, he gets the kids ready to go to school. He works hard all day. He's getting promoted and making so much money. After a long day from work, he comes and helps me set up the table for dinner, then washes the dishes, showers the children, tucks them into bed, does a quiet time, worship, prayer, fasting. Oh, oh, my husband's amazing. Your friend is probably lying. Because that's probably not all true. But he's amazing. And then you start thinking, why isn't my husband doing that? You come back home. Why aren't you doing all these things? Her husband is doing it. Why aren't you washing the dishes? Why aren't you throwing the trash? Why aren't you tucking the beds, the kids to go to, to bed? To go to, to, you know, why don't you get them ready to go to school? You see how coveting breeds conflicts? Everything was good between you and your coworker. She was your best friend until she got the promotion that you've been praying for. I deserve that promotion. I've worked harder than you did. I'm more skillful, more talented. I have more abilities than you do. And you become jealous of your friend, of your coworker, of your best friend, and you because you're coveting what they have. And so Joseph's brothers... They covet the relationship between their brother Joseph and their father Jacob. And here's what the word of God says in James chapter 4, verse 2. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You cannot obtain that. You covet it. You can't have it. So what does it do? It initiates. It breeds. It leads to conflict. And here's the thing. Coveting. It's the next point that I want you to write down at all of our campuses. Coveting leads to being hurtful and hateful. Coveting leads to being hurtful and hateful. Look at what the word of God says in verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved more than, more, more than any of them, they began to pray for Joey. Nope. Thank you, Nigel. <laughs> they began to fast. No, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, many of us know the narrative of Joseph. His brothers were like, that's enough, that's enough, we're going to get rid of this guy. And so what do they do? They throw him into the, a pit. They actually wanted to kill their own brother. Reuben, the oldest brother, said, listen, listen, we can't do this. So eventually he actually gets sold into the marketplace and a wealthy man by the name of Potiphar would actually buy Joseph to become one of his servants. So what do the brothers do? They falsified his death. They get a piece of his garment, a piece of his clothing, and they dip it into goat blood. And then they bring it back to their father. And they say, Dad, they make up a story. They say, Dad, we were walking on the road and a wild animal killed your son, Joseph. Obviously, his dad was very sad, depressed, discouraged at that moment. Tragedy just took place. But here's what happens. The way they coveted what Joseph had, it led them to being hateful to the point that they throw their own brother Joseph into a pit. Now, I know all of us in here, we're not throwing someone into a pit. Hope not. Praise God. 
But here's the thing. We begin to covet something so much that it leads to being hurtful and to being hateful. It leads to frustration. It leads to anger. It leads to bitterness. It leads to slander. It leads to being malice. It leads to all these evil thoughts and, and things that you say about someone. And so the brothers throw him into a pit, something they could have solved. They could have dealt with this issue, but rather they were coveted his dreams. They coveted his relationship with his father, Jacob. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor Carlos, I'm tracking with you and I get you. And I understand that coveting breeds conflict, but how do I deal with the conflict in my life? How do I deal with these situations that happen to me between my family, my children, a sibling? I want you to write this down as your next point for today. Do not replay how to deal with family conflicts. Do not replay the hurts. Do not replay the hurts. I want to give us a little bit of the narrative because Joseph is thrown into Potiphar's home and he is a slave. He is a servant. And here's what happens. Think about this for a moment. Joseph went from having all the food that he wanted to now having to prepare all the food. Joseph went from have, being able to do whatever he wanted to now he's having to wash dishes and clean the bathrooms and work out in the fields. But here's what the word of God says in Genesis chapter 39, verse three. His master, his master saw that the Lord was with them and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found, say with me, favor. favor. Say it like you mean it, favor, favor in his sights and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Don't miss the point in all this. Joseph, in the midst of conflict, he's a slave. He's a servant now. He's taking orders from Potiphar. The Bible says that Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with him. In other words, Joseph was filled with joy. He was content. He was not replaying the hurts. He was not playing the victim mentality. I can't believe what my brothers did to me. I can't believe that they threw me into a pit. God, where are you? You gave me dreams. Why am I in this situation? Why am I in the midst of this conflict? Why am I going through this? No. Instead, he made the most and the best out of his situation. He didn't covet what he had before. He had all the privileges, all the best treatment, and he was making the best in the situation that he was in. Maybe, and, and the Bible says that he found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Maybe the reason why you don't find favor is because we're coveting so much the things that we don't have rather than being content in the things that we do have. 20 of you heard that. Let me say that again. Maybe the reason why we're not finding favor with God is because we're coveting the things that we don't have rather than being content with what we do have. And so Joseph is like, wait a minute, I'm content. The Lord is with me. And contentment minimized the conflict. On the other hand, coveting maximized the conflict. In fact, the Bible says that Joseph was falsely accused. 
Potiphar's wife saw that he was handsome. The word of God says that he was handsome. And so she wanted to be with him intimately. Joseph does the right thing. He's like, chill, girl. So he leaves, he runs, flees from the situation. He does the honorable thing. Potiphar's wife said, hey, listen, listen, that guy, your new manager, your new supervisor, he tried to rape me. He's falsely accused and he's thrown into a prison. Mind you, think about this for a moment. He was daddy's favorite. He's thrown into a pit, sold into the marketplace, and now he's in a prison. And look at what the word of God says his attitude was in the prison. Genesis 40, verse 6. He's having a conversation with the officials there. He says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, why are your faces downcast today? In other words, why are you sad? Why are you discouraged? Why are you depressed? What's going on? And they said, they said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Think about this for a moment. Joseph was doing ministry in the midst of that prison cell. Why? He wasn't replaying the hurts. He wasn't thinking, I'm a victim, victim mentality. Ah, oh, my brothers, Reuben and Benjamin and Judah, oh, I'm going to get them back. Ah, 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 that's not right. That's not fair. What's wrong with them? I don't deserve this. God promised me dreams. Why am I in this? No. He's in the prison. He's like, well, I'm in the prison. You got dreams? I'm going to allow God to use me in the midst of this situation. Why? Because I know God is for me. I know God is with me. God is never against me. He's never forsaken me. He's not left me. And throughout the narrative of Genesis of Joseph, the word of God says that the Lord was with him in every single moment in the midst of the conflict. Here's the next point that I want you to write down, how to deal with conflict. Be a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Eventually, Joseph will reconcile his relationship with his brothers. They would reconcile. They would come to reconciliation. But here's what the word of God says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This is Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. Say with me, peacemakers. Peacemakers. Say it like you mean it, peacemakers. Peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Jesus Christ is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first message recorded of Jesus in the Bible. And the word blessed there, if you're taking notes, I want you to circle or underline that word. It's the word makairos. We've told you many times that the New Testament was first written in Greek and then translated into other languages. And that word makairos means happy. In other words, Jesus is saying, you want to be happy in life? Be a peacemaker. You want a happy marriage? Be a peacemaker. You want a happy situation with your children, with your parents? Happy relationship with them, with your coworker, with your boss, be a peacemaker. And oftentimes when we think of the word peacemaker, we're really what we're thinking of is the word peacekeeping, peacekeeper. See, peacekeeper is a good thing. It means that you de-escalate a situation, that you try to keep things peaceful. You know, one of the things that I tell people in marriage counseling is choose your battles. You don't have to argue about everything. Your wife is right. 99% of the times, <laughs> even in the 1%, she's still right. And so peacekeeping, if it's a Friday night and you're craving some ribeye steak and 
loaded baked potato and you want to go to Outback, Texas Roadhouse Grill, Longhorn, but your wife wants seafood? Maintain the peace. Do reservations at Red Lobster, Golden Seafood, have seafood. If you want to watch an action movie on Friday night and a thriller and all the action and the drama, Rambo or Fast and the Furious Part 17, I don't know how many parts they have. How many do they have? I mean, you guys know, 12, 11, 10, I've lost track after five. Five is more than enough. But your wife wants to watch a chick flick? My best friend's wedding for the 20th time or Gilmore Girls or something? Just watch the chick flick, maintain the peace. That is peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is all about conflict resolution, maintaining the peace. Peacemaking is about conflict reconciliation. Reconciling a relationship that is broken between two people. You know, last week we had an event at our Doral campus and I took my two boys and Shawnee and Everly stayed at home. And they had a great day. They were able to hang out with some of the pastor's kids there, Pastor Gideon's kid, Pastor Emilio's kid. They were just having a good time and, and uh, they behaved well that I know of. And so we're driving back home. All of a sudden, they get into this bad fight. I don't know how it started, but it was bad between my two sons. Maybe your children don't fight like my children. Maybe they're more holy, more sanctified, but they got at it. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm like trying to hit them. I'm going to pull to the side if you guys don't stop. I'm going to pull to the side right now. So they stopped. I was what? Maintained the peace. I brought peace to that situation. But when we got back home, then I wanted to bring reconciliation between Noah and my other son, Nathan. So I told my oldest son, Noah, go apologize to your brother. So Noah's like, sorry. I'm like, apologize. Sorry. Give him a hug. Give him a kiss. He goes, I'll do a fist pump. He goes like that, just stretching it out. Eventually, he started playing around and having a good time. But as a parent, I want to bring reconciliation between my two children, between Noah and Nathan. So if there is conflict between you and your hubby or you and your wife or you and your parents, be a peacemaker. Bring reconciliation to the situation, the relationship that is broken. And that is the example of Jesus Christ, God Almighty, who is the ultimate peacemaker. The Bible says that we are all sinners and we are not at peace with God. God is sinless. God is perfect. And Jesus Christ came down to die on the cross for our sins. And through Jesus Christ, Christ, we can have peace with God the Father. How many of you believe that today at all of our campuses? If you're watching us online, Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And because of that, we're called to be the bridge. Say it with me, bridge. bridge. Say it like you mean a bridge. bridge. Reconcile that relationship. What is the relationship that you need to reconcile? Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a sister. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's your mother. But be that peacemaker. I don't just want to maintain the peace. I want to bring reconciliation to the situation that has been broken. Here's the next point that I want you to realize today. Understand this. Even in the midst of conflict, God is at work. Even in the midst of conflict, God is at work. Joseph was in prison 
And he was there, and eventually he'll begin to interpret dreams, and he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. And look at what the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command. Think about this for a moment. Joseph trusted in God, and he knew that God was at work even in the midst of conflict. Now Pharaoh is saying, listen, listen, you have found favor with me, and now you're going to be in charge of this entire land, of this entire region. You're going to be in charge of Egypt. But think about this for a moment. It took 13 years for Joseph to make it to the palace. He was thrown in a pit by his own brothers, flesh and blood. Then he was sold as a slave, was a servant to a wealthy man, thrown into a prison, pit prison. And after 13 years, he's now in the palace, in charge of an entire land, entire region, one of the most powerful men in that area. And eventually his own brothers, there was a famine in the land of Israel, and his own brothers would come back, they would go to Egypt, and they'd actually bow down in front of Joseph. The Bible says they bowed down in front of Joseph and they did not recognize him because it had been over 13 years that they had seen their brother Joseph. And there's reconciliation there. He forgives his brothers. And look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph looks at his brothers and he tells them, as for you, you meant evil against me, Come on. but God well, meant it for good. Yeah. Well, what you guys did against me was wrong. It was evil. It was wicked. You initiated all this conflict. I had to go to a pit. Then I was a servant. Then I was in prison over 13 years, and now I'm in this palace. Notice how Joseph is not dismissive of their sin. He doesn't downplay their sin. It was wrong. It was wicked. It was sinful. Why did you do this? I'm not at fault. It's my dad's fault. I had no say in this. God was giving me the dreams. He's not dismissive of their wrongdoing, but he knew that there was a purpose behind it. It didn't just stop there. You know, we don't have to be dismissive of what people do against us. It's wrong. Maybe you're here today. It's wrong what your dad did. It's wrong what your sister did. It's wrong what your cousin did. It's wrong what the child did, your son, or a friend, a co-worker. It's wrong. You don't have to be dismissive. It's wicked. It's evil. It's sinful. But it doesn't stop there. Because God used all the conflict in the pits. God used all the conflict in the prison to lead him to go to the palace. Because God works in the midst of our conflict. God works all things for good. Not just the good things, not just the bad things, not just the big things, not just the small things, but all things for good. How many of you believe that today at all of our campuses? If you're watching us at the route, you're watching us at West Kendall, Redland, Homestead, Core Gables, to downtown. He said it was wrong. It was wrong, guys. Reuben, why did you allow this? Judah, why did you allow this? Benjamin, why did you throw me into a pit? It was evil. It was wicked. 
But make no mistake, God used that for his purpose. God used that for his purpose. There's a story, there's a book called Seven Women That Changed the World, and there's this woman that was a Dutch Christian woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. And she's passed away several years ago, and she writes in this book, uh, she actually helped throughout the Holocaust, she helped smuggle uh, Jews, Jew, Jewish women into her home in Holland. And so she helped smuggle them, and then she helped save many, many women. Eventually, the Nazis caught her, and they imprisoned her and her sister Betsy. And so she writes that while they're in the barrack, there were a lot of fleas in the barrack that they were in. Not only would they hear all the torture, and not only would they see all these evil things, but there were a lot of fleas that would get to them. And so one of the things that Betsy, her sister, told Corey, she said, listen, the Bible says that we need to thank God in every situation. So we're going to thank God even for the fleas that are in this room. Corey's like, I mean, I'm not that Christian. I'm not going to do that. She writes that in her book. I'm not going to do that. I mean, listen, I'll thank God, but I'm not going to thank God specifically for the fleas. So eventually what they would do is they would have small groups, a small group where the women would come into the barrack, in the small barrack, and they would learn about the Bible. They would smuggle Bibles into that room, and they would lead a small group. Well, the officers, the guards, would never come to the room when they were having small group. Eventually, Corey writes in her book that she was released, right? She was released, that she was saved. She would eventually find that the reason why the guards would not come into the room is because of the fleas. They didn't want the fleas to get on them. So they told them, hey, listen, we will never go to that room because of the fleas. While they were having small group, while they were worshiping Jesus, while lives were being changed, God was using the fleas to protect them. I don't know what fleas God is using to protect you, but I'm gonna tell you something. In the midst of your conflict, there is purpose. Just trust in Jesus Christ. What you meant for evil, that divorce that I had to go through, there's something good. I may not see it now, I may not see it in years, but there's something good that's gonna come out of the situation. What happened with your father, what happened with the son, something good. I don't want to be dismissive of your pain. I don't want to be dismissive of your evil. It hurts. It's not easy. But trust God that God is in, at work in the midst of your conflict. How many of you believe that today at all of our campuses? So here's what I want us to do. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're watching us online, and I just want to pray for for all of you, many of you are probably hurt and maybe there's tension and conflict in your family at home, maybe a situation with your husband, with the sibling, with the brother, with the sister, with the dad, with your mom, with your, with your son, with your daughter. And I want to just take a moment and pray. Father God, I just come before you, Lord. We just take a moment and we pray, God. We pray for healing, God. Lord, we pray, God, that you may reconcile relationships that have been destroyed throughout time. May you reconcile a relationship that has been destroyed between a son, between a daughter, between a sibling, between a brother, a sister, a cousin, or uncle, or aunt, a family member, God. May you bring reconciliation, God. May you bring healing, Lord. God, as hard as it is, Lord, how can they do this? How can they in a way, put me in this pit, God. How can they put me in this prison in a spiritual and emotional way, God? I just pray that you may bring reconciliation and may we trust, Lord, that there's something good 
is going to come out of the conflict. Even in the midst of our conflict, you are still at work and you are still good. You're still for us and you're not against us. You've never forsaken us, Lord. And so we trust in you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. I just pray for the families of our church, God. May you protect them. May you bless them. May you heal them. May you guide them. May you pour your favor, your wisdom, your provision over them, God. We know that healthy families lead to healthy churches. So, God, we pray that over our lives. As everyone has their head bowed and their eyes closed today, maybe you're here today and you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for many weeks and you're like, Pastor Carlos, as you were preaching that message, I, I am so far away from God. I need to be reconciled to God. My friend, only through Jesus Christ can you be reconciled. The Bible says that we are all sinners in need of saving. And only through Jesus Christ can we have salvation. So today you have an opportunity to make that decision to follow Christ. How do you do it? It's not a scripted prayer. It's not coming to church. It's not attending a small group. But rather, it's believing in your heart that he died for your sins, confessing him as Lord and Savior, and repenting from your sins. So today I want to lead us in a prayer. You can repeat the same exact words or you can pray something similar. There where you are. There where you are. Father God, I just come before you and I recognize that I am a sinner in need of saving. Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for my sins. And today I ask you to come into my life today. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my best friend. Thank you for forgiving me for my past, present, and future sins, Lord. I repent, turn away from my old life, and I run to you today. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen and amen. Christ Fellowship, can we give it up for all those that made that decision? If you made that decision to follow Christ, make sure you go to our Next Steps area at all of our campuses. We want to give you a Bible. We want to welcome you to God's family. If you're watching us online, you can text the word CF Miami to the number 313131. I love you, Christ Fellowship. I want to invite all the campus pastors to come on stage. God bless you. Have a great day.